Welcome to the Marketing Stir Highlight by Starista. This week we revisit some of our favorite moments captured this year so far on the show. We'll be taking a look back at moments with Deanna Koch, VP of Marketing at Red Lobster, Carl Wells, Chief Subscriptions Officer at Dow Jones, Andrea Joe Deward, Senior Director of Marketing at Mariner Lifestyle, and Farabuzz Manian, VP of Advanced Media and Advertising at TiVo. Give it a listen. Yeah, so our core audience is um, defined right now as Middle America, um, which is probably no surprise, but I will say Middle America is also kind of split for us as well. We, we look at our core guests and we definitely um, over-index in what we call these quality traditionalists, which are, you know, older, a little bit higher income. They're, you know, potentially empty nesters or close to that at this point, and they've been part of our brand for a very, very long time. Um, those guests like our traditional food, our traditional classics, and they, they look for that and they expect that from us. Um, and they expect a consistent quality of that over the years. But it's surprising, we do have a younger demographic that is finding our brand. And it's really exciting too, to start talking to this younger demographic. And um, especially as we've pivoted out of television into a more digital um, media mix, we're really finding cool ways to connect with those guests and um, bring them into the brand, which is really exciting right now for us. And uh, Deanna, I, I wanted to focus on that because you mentioned some of the changes you made a lot more digital. Yeah. What, what are some channels, this being the marketing stir, we love to get the, some of the channels out there that are working for you. Tell us about that pivot yeah. and, and what are the channels that you're marketing in currently? Yeah, so just um, one step back, we were a, we used to be a big broadcast TV advertiser. Pre-COVID, we would go into the annual upfronts and we would have a robust cable television buy that was supported by digital. And then um, we started to make changes to the brand prior to COVID. And when COVID hit, we went dark, um, like a lot of brands did. What we decided to do is pivot to be digital forward. And by by doing so, um, we, do, we are placing our money into different channels, as you said. We recently completed um, a match market test where we were testing pressure testing audiences and channels against each other. Um, and what we saw was that there was a lot of um, a lot of emerging channels that were working rather well for us and getting after those younger growth audiences. I would say right now, Facebook is still one of our strongest social channels. Um, so we are in the Facebook, Instagram world. Um, we do um, use a little bit of Twitter. Um, we also have ventured into TikTok, believe it or not. And that's that's where it's really exciting to see some of those younger growth audiences respond. Um, we are also in, we go into Pinterest seasonally right now with the holidays coming up. We find that that's a great platform for party platters, gift card messaging, things that are a little bit unique to that platform. And then we still um, do a robust, you know, uh, programmatic buy as well as um, use email marketing. Um, and then as far as online video, um, we are primarily in like a Hulu or a YouTube world um, with six seconds or 15 second ads. Um, we have been layering back in television in a different way. So we're doing doing some buys through one of our partners where we are on cable TV um, in a very light format. So we're pressure testing the waters of how much we can get back into television right now and how much will you know, show us a good return on investment. So I will say we, we, we have a bit, very diverse mix of channels. Um, social's always been a rather strong channel for us. And what we're trying to learn right now is um, with the reduced budgets that we have, which channels work the hardest for us and are the most effective at this time. So that's, it's an evolving thing that we continue pressure test and watch and learn. 
Yeah. yeah, thanks for sharing that. I also would think, you know, the, the younger audiences, a lot of the younger audiences, and I, I, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm still young or not, but I, I feel that because Red Lobster is an experience, it's yeah. the food, it's so visual. It's such a, it, it, it's such a, it, one person doesn't go to Red Lobster. You go two people, you have a family, you have a party with people always taking pictures of their food, videos. I think that would really reign true for, for, for Red Lobster. But my, my question really around that is, what are you noticing with the younger audiences? Are they, how are they doing it? It's friends. I remember taking dates to Red Lobster. <laughs> I remember that was special. I really like someone. It's yeah. a Red Lobster moment. Yeah. Also, if it was a special occasion, you mentioned after church for you, special mm -hmm. occasion with my family, and it was a big thing. You know, I had a single mom, and it was a big deal going to to Red Lobster. You know, for for us, and and it still is for for people. So, talk to me about how you feel the younger audience is is engaging with uh, with Red Lobster. Yeah, so it's really interesting because um, there was this theory that we were doing a really good job talking to our core guests, but um, our core guests will only take us so far into the future. So we needed to start expanding that into younger audiences. Um, but by doing so, we also felt we needed some food that was a little bit more relevant for them. So at the same time, our culinary team was working on more relevant and more value-focused foods. So um, back in the summer, we introduced some seafood bowls um, that were delicious. We introduced, believe it or not, a Wagyu bacon cheeseburger that is absolutely fantastic. A crispy cod sandwich that's so big it falls off the bun and people call it a Codzilla. Um, so it was more like handhelds and bowls and value-focused yet relevant food, not the big feasts and platters. We still had those, but what we were finding is that the younger audiences were more engaged with that new food. And we did, um, we did a really cool thing. We took, a, we took a food truck to Atlanta and parked it in the middle of Piedmont Park, unbranded completely. And we had some of that new food in that food truck and we gave it away. And we filmed people's reactions to the food when they found out it was Red Lobster. And it was overwhelmingly positive. I would say 99% of the people coming through had not been to our brand or had not been to our brand in a long time. So it was exposing um, a very diverse audience, younger audience to, to our brand in a very unique way. And the comments that we got on video are amazing that we then edited together and in a way of being scrappy and producing things in a world where you didn't have like big studio dollars to do this, it turned out to be a really cool consumer engagement with that. But we learned quickly that the right food to the right audience really works. So then how do you apply that and find the right media channels to put that in? So running this and targeting it correctly in you know, social, like if it was Facebook and Instagram, we would then target those younger guests. Um, and we would also target people who may not be followers of our brand, but be, you know, have the propensity to come into the brand. So maybe they were um, a Chipotle guest and they were, you know, looking at more fast casual type of guests, looking at the bowls that you would get at Panera or Chipotle. Well, now we have similar things that they would never have thought of about until, you know, they were exposed to it. So that's another way of kind of like, kind of getting into like the side part of the competition, not your direct competitors and bringing people into the brand too. The, the overarching theme, I think, is that um, it's easier to get brand fame um, and it's much less expensive <laughs> to to reach kind of brand fame um, in, in the UK and Australia than obviously than it is in the in the States. I mean, Australia is a country of, what, 25 million people. So it's smaller than California. It's smaller than Texas. 
it's just a bit bigger than Florida. So it's much easier to reach, you know, a much higher, a high proportion of the country in one, you know, swoop of a, you know, digital and TV campaign. Um, and with relatively small budgets, when you think of it on a global level versus what, you know, would be spent in, um, in, in the States. And I guess the UK is somewhere in between, I'd say is kind of between kind of the, the US and, and, and Australia. Um, you know, and I did my, you can see I did my homework here on population stats. And this is a link there to my, my degree, by the way, human geography was a lot about population and people. So I'm, I'm reliably told by Google that um, the, the UK has a similar population of California and Texas combined. Um, so, but still, you know, a drop in the ocean relative to the, to the state. So I guess what, one of the, one of the intricacies that you kind of have to be careful of in the UK is just around, you know, the UK is made up of Scotland, Ireland, yeah, Northern Ireland, England, and, and Wales. So as a marketeer, you kind of have to be, you kind of have to be tuned into the different, you know, kind of regional um, uh, differences. And, and, and actually sometimes like accents that you use in your marketing, you know, can, can sometimes put off certain audiences and, you know, and, and be pleasing for others. So neutral accents um, is, a, is, is, a good, is, a, is a good kind of uh, uh, tactic to use. Um, and in Australia, they just love to laugh. So just be funny. Um, you know, humor is a huge part of, 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 of marketing in, in Australia and they have a lot of fun with it. And in terms of the marketing side of things, uh, what are some of the channels that are working for you and some of the strategies that are currently working? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, as a, as a publisher, um, you know, we, we have no shortage of, of, of assets to market. Right. You know, our journalism, in some respects, you've got to think about our product. It's like our product starts the day almost empty. Right. Um, and every day our product changes. Right. Depending on what what's what's kind of in the news and, and what's in the news cycle. So from a marketing perspective, it's, it's less about, you know, do we have something to market? It's more about, you know, an embarrassment of riches. Right. What 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 what, what should we market? And. So there's a there's an art and a bit of a science to that in terms of you know what what we choose to market and to whom. Um, so we have our kind of structure is we kind of have an in-house um, kind of media team and an in-house in-house creative team on the performance marketing side and on the bigger kind of above the line brand marketing kind of we we work with agencies. But on the performance marketing side, those two areas are very closely um, kind of linked to the output of the newsroom because ultimately our product is. You know what, what what's what's in the news so it's you know it's a it's a machine um in terms of distribution like it's a paid distribution machine you know there's there's you know upwards of 20 30 you know different ads and ads being you know both a combination of of, of driving a, a direct response but also showcasing you know specific articles that have been written um you know that day or or, or that or that week and and I guess one of the kind of challenges I think we've found over over the years is 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 that you know to, to reach the same number of people um, and all those distinct audience groups, your channel your channels have to start to diversify. And I think the days of saying you know you stick Facebook and Twitter on a media plan and you know and, and a bit of YouTube and jobs are good and um, you know I, I think is is changing and there's much more. I think diversity now in in just within the social space of, of of where people are showing up, and then you've really got to think about well, you know, what's the how does the brand show up in that in that environment? And obviously, it's going to be different for TikTok versus Reddit versus Twitter versus YouTube versus 
Facebook. Um, so yeah, a real diversification, I think, of, of channels, which is kind of driving a diversification of spend and making our jobs more interesting, but maybe a little harder than, than, than it was, you know, say five, six years ago when, you know, it was probably arguably more, more focused. What I learned in my first three years in publishing, um, once I got in the door through that, you know, in, in that master's program, um, through meeting people and starting to get my foot in the door, um, is that I actually really love marketing. And I, I did not have that background as an English major. I, I had no idea that that was really a career option or um, a slice of the publishing industry that I could touch and really love. Um, so that has all come, you know, in the last 12 years, just kind of on the fly, on the job. Um, so my first job in publishing was a pub office assistant, which is the pub office is a little bit like air traffic control. They they are the the air traffic control between all the different departments. They they deal with the editors, the marketing team, the um, managing editorial, which are like the schedulers, the production folks. So they they're the ones kind of making everyone work together, combining all the schedules, looking at the com competition, looking at the schedules of other publishers. Um, so I worked for a deputy publisher who did all that. And because of because of that um, level of exposure of the things he was working on, I got to touch a little bit of everything, and it was an awesome entry into the industry because I got to see everything that he was doing and decide what I wanted to do and what I wanted to touch. And it was also those early days of social media, um, so he handed me the keys to the the one of the brand's Twitter accounts, and he was like, "Here, I don't really understand what Twitter is. You go run with it." <laughs> Um, and I was, you know, 22 at the time, and I love Twitter. I still love Twitter. Twitter is one of my favorite places, and um, I, um, I just, I started to explore with it and really see the opportunities. And and at simultaneously in my master's program, I was starting to see, um, you know, the the added value of what marketing can bring to it. You know, what is what is the value of um, brand awareness? And we were trying to put. Um, uh, trying to assign dollar value to brand awareness through a tweet about a book. And um, those were some of the projects I was working on in this grad school program. And I, I really fell in love with that, that um, logic game of this. Um, I started to work on writing book trailer videos. Um, I worked on a book trailer video for Snooki from the Jersey Shore. And that was one of my first real <laughs> owned marketing projects when I was at Simon and Schuster. And um, I was like, this is it. Like, I, I like this, like this, whatever this weird little niche part of publishing is where I'm writing a book trailer for Snooki. I'm like, I want to do this. Um, and then from there, from there on out, once I had that path, um, I was all self-taught. I was like, what can I learn? How can I teach myself marketing? I had that master's background then, but then I also started going to conferences and, and um, you know, how do I learn analytics? How do I learn um, how an ad dashboard is built? How do I learn, uh, you know, um, attribution and and sales tracking on the back end so a, a lot of that has just been really self-taught in the last 10 years once i decided that you know this is it um then um it's all been by the seat of my pants and i love it well, i think there's more excitement um around our capabilities with our media player so as i mentioned we've got the stream 4k we've got tivo plus um for those that are tivo subscribers that really coincide with some of the pain points that consumers have and the things that they're looking for when it comes to video consumption. Um, you know, finding what you wanna watch, how you wanna watch it with ease, um, our products and our innovations, especially what's behind the scenes in terms of search and recommendation, you know, data fuels advancement. So machine learning is the more data points that you have and the updates that you bring in, 
only advance your product. So our search and recommendation tools are becoming more um, advanced with the data that we're bringing forward and then enabling opportunities for advertisers to advertise on our platforms. So we um, historically haven't been a big player in providing advertisers with eyeballs um, with, from which to present their brand message. Um, but going forward this year, um, another addition besides you know, enabling content to come to the consumer screen with ease is also on the advertiser side to be able to present their brand message and their story to our very unique and broad customer base that are maybe not see our brand name up front, but where our technology lies enables us to have those touch points and a unique audience that we can bring to marketers um, with our connected TV um, touch points. So connected TV basically bringing um, advertising capabilities in those advertising video on demand supported services. So um, those that don't require a subscription, for example, which is a really exciting and hot topic area of 2022 for marketers is expanding beyond linear um, into these um, new uh, digital means of getting access to content, which is where we're seeing consumers migrate because um, they want more content. They don't want less, they want more. And with more comes opportunity for a marketer of touch points to deliver your brand message. So TiVo is very excited in 2022 to be um, uh, uh, bringing that capability to both marketers and consumers. Uh, Faraba, we'd love to talk about television on this on this program. We, we really do. AJ and I, we love yes. different different TV shows, and yes. we we talk about it a lot. I I would love to hear from you because I know TiVo does a biannual survey on video consumption trends, especially these last two years, right? People have yeah. been, I think, consuming a lot of television. What are some of those re readings or findings, if you will, that have kind of uh, shocked you from the last you know, few surveys? So, I, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's been exciting to see consumer response. So we do a survey twice a year biannually um, against 5,000 representative um, consumers across the U.S. and ask them about their video you know, consumption across a host of different areas. And so I'm going to ask you a question first, Vincent. Yeah. How many subscription services do you subscribe to? So I probably subscribe to, I would say six. Okay. Six subscription services. Yep. And you probably would be surprised to find out that the average today now is nine. Come on. Yes. I'm below average. Come on. You're below <laughs> Look average. at AJ laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm below average at the way. You're below average. I ah, You're I like, know. oh, you, what, you, what? You, you'll never hear that term at a company party, Vincent. I'll never <laughs> bring it up Thank again. You. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm about to go subscribe to four more and bring yeah, my average up. <laughs> I need motivation for your week. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us at themarketingstir at starista.com.
and thanks for listening.